big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. This is Connections, and today my connection is Rink DeVries. Uh, welcome. Welcome, Rink. Thank you. Um, let's get this first part out of the way. Um, for years, you've had your own company. Is Beacon 2020? Yep. So what, what do you do? We focus really on uh, transformation of the water industry. So I've been in the water industry for probably uh, 25, 26 years, and maybe even a little bit longer than that. I may not want to admit all the years. Right. But, uh, and, and uh, really from a technology background to start with. So after getting my civil engineering degree at the University of Minnesota and getting an MBA, I, uh, I joined uh, what was at the time called uh, Arthur Anderson and now okay. called Accenture. So uh, I right. joined them in the consulting division. And really the focus was on IT. A couple of years later, I went back to my civil engineering roots and really uh, started focusing on water, sort of the application of, of technologies in the water industry, mainly in uh, in the Midwest and in, in the U.S. to start with, but then also out uh, out west, Seattle, Portland, uh, all the way to uh, Boston. Okay. Now, I that's not how I know you, however. Nope. I, uh, we kind of live in the same neighborhood, which... Uh, it's a fun neighborhood because there's all these interesting people to mm -hmm. uh, to talk to. And but I, when I first met you, you're my one of my kids' soccer coach, so you're mm -hmm. a soccer player fanatic. Um, and I, and then I learned that uh, you you played. I remember think uh, remembering that you played in an adult league, mm -hmm. right? You're yep. very active. You coached and you played. But then I was startled to find out that you were a goalie. You were playing nothing against goalies or drummers <laughs> or anything like that, um, but I, f I did find that kind of odd. Why were you playing goaltender instead of like midfielder or you know streaking, uh, sprinting uh, forward? I started playing goalie when I was probably eight or nine. I played in in Holland, then I I, I played in Belgium, uh, just as as a kid, and then uh, moved to the U.S. and played there, uh, junior high school, and back to back to Belgium and I played soccer there at the International School of Brussels and I also played for a local Belgian team uh, and uh, and then I went back to university in the States and and played uh, there as well. At the time uh, soccer wasn't as big in the States so it was still called a club. It didn't have a sort of varsity status yet. And so the answer I thought you were going to give is because of your, uh, there was a physical condition as well, that, right? That sort of came later where I always I like the playing goal. I also played a little bit out, where I played usually on the right defense, and uh, and but there's a, there was a certain point when I couldn't play defense anymore, and that was uh, when I turned 37. We had just moved to Canada, and uh, and I I thought, wow, I don't know what's wrong with me. I need to work out more. I just I, I didn't have the energy anymore. We had just had uh, our first uh, our first uh, child. And, uh, and even carrying him became difficult. And so I said, well, you know what? I, I'm just not feeling right. I'm going to get this checked out. And uh, I got to the hospital, and uh, immediately they threw me onto a, onto a gurney, uh, I'll say, onto a, a bed, and they did all kinds of tests. They thought I'd had a massive heart attack. Uh, my heart rate uh, had gone into, uh, into the 20s and, and, and low 30s. As it turns out, after sort of... Uh, a, a, maybe five, six days of tests and, and, uh, and, and checks. And, and uh, you know, I ended up going to Hamilton Hospital, back to, back to Oakville Trafalgar Hospital. 
they found out I had uh, I had a conduction problem, and uh, they didn't really know what the root cause was at the time. But uh, the solution was uh, they stuck in a pacemaker. So once they stuck in that pacemaker, it you could program that pacemaker to still allow you to do lots of physical activity. So uh, at the at the time, I I had to step back a little bit from more of the running. Because what happens is uh, the, the, the technology in the pacemakers is, is, uh, is limited. So uh, at the time, they had uh, in their the, – the relationship, I guess, between exercise and, and the way the pacemaker is, is speeding up your heart rate wasn't uh, exact, which seemed to function just fine for a while. For uh, how long is a while? I mean, for a few years kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I'd say I had the pacemaker in for about 17 years, but I'd say wow. uh, after probably 13, 14 years, it became more of a, of a problem. Like my, my condition continued to get uh, worse, and I continued to have a more and more difficult time. Yes. Now, I remember you being like fit as a fiddle because uh, <laughs> you're a soccer coach um, and, in a, you know, and very athletic looking. and. Um, but you're, I became aware at a certain point, uh, your, your health was starting to deteriorate and you knew what was going on by that point. Now, wh at what point did you know that you potentially needed, you were a candidate for an actual new heart? That didn't happen until a little bit later because at first we had to figure out what the root cause was. And right. so the genetic testing really hadn't been that well developed when I first ended up because my, my first pacemaker went in in 1996 Okay. And so at the time, the, the, the uh, genetic testing was not to the point yet where they could pinpoint uh, what the problems were. So later on, I ended up getting some genetic testing done when it, it just didn't seem to be getting better. It continued to get worse. And I thought, well, this, this really needs to be checked out. And so I had some, uh, some, some tests done, and, and they found out I had a, a genetic condition called the desmonopathy. Uh, Desmond, it's a, effectively, it's a, it's a mutation of the Desmond gene, which uh, turns out uh, it was a hereditary condition from uh, from my ancestors. Uh, they had, uh, when we did some research on it, uh, we found out that they had traced this back to the early 1800s. In your family? It, in my family, back okay. in, uh, you know, I'm originally from the Netherlands. But you didn't know anything about it? Didn't know anything about it. And uh, so, but yeah, that they've been around uh, uh, since since the early 1800s. And and it was a something that's called a autosomal dominant, and it was fully penetrant, and it was so it was fifty percent autosomal dominant, meaning fifty percent of your ancestors will get that that same uh, of, of your of your um, offspring will have that same mutation. So uh, ultimately, uh, we ended up having to get the kids tested as well. Uh, because the likelihood is that half half the kids would would have the same mutation, and uh, it also meant that we we knew uh, effectively what the prognosis was. Eventually, uh, that that I would need a, a heart transplant. There was there was nothing was going to fix that. Genetic engineering, some of the other technologies had not been developed uh, enough yet at the time. So from the point from from the moment that we found out that that uh, I had this genetic uh, mutation. Uh, it was really a matter of, of, of surviving and staying as healthy as possible along the way until I was eligible to get on the transplant list and eventually eligible to, to get a 
to get a new heart. Because that's a, obviously a big deal because there's yeah. people on the list ahead of you. So yeah. what, was, what was that like? Just from, I guess, an emotional level, you, was, you find out you need to go on a list and the list is how long? First of all is uh, you don't get on the list. Right. And so the-, the You have to the, apply or? The, 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 here's the, the dilemma is you have to be healthy enough to get on the list you're healthy enough so you would be able to survive a transplant. So young enough? Kind yeah, of yeah, young enough. So they might not enough. do that with an 85-year-old. No, or... at the same time, you have to be sick enough and urgent enough to make the transplant list. So it's it's a conundrum that right. it's, it seems almost impossible to solve. How can you be sick enough yet healthy enough so at the were, same time? You needed it, but you were too healthy. That's part of the problem. And because uh, a lot of the criteria for getting onto a transplant list are related to urgency. And so, of course, urgency, it's, it's sort of like brinksmanship. You know, how close are you to the edge? How close are you to dying? How, how urgent is it that you get a transplant? And there are other criteria, of course. You know, there, there are uh, standards that they set. Like if you, you know, you need to be living a, a reasonably healthy life. So you can't be smoking like a, like a chimney, drinking like a fish. You, these are all things that you have to be. Uh, you, you have to be careful. Of course, I didn't do that anyway. I led a what I'd say a, a fairly. I'm going to say boring and, and very, very proper life. Always looked at nutrition. Always looked at exercise. And so, uh, at the same time, there's nothing you can do about uh, genetic deterioration of your of your your heart. And so, uh, so that that was tough. And uh, so once I got onto the onto the transplant waiting list, effectively onto the list. Then it was a matter of, of staying healthy enough until a heart became available. Right. And do they give you an, a sense of how long it could, it, it, they just give you, it could be a year, it could be 10 years. It could be 10 years. I would have probably no longer been here. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, they, you don't know. And, and it, that, the hardest part of the journey was actually the waiting. There is nothing you can do. And when you're, when you're an active individual and you like to solve problems, I went to engineering school. You know, problems are there to be solved. This is what we do. And here's a here's an intractable and unsolvable problem. And so the frustrate that it was it was a very very frustrating time sitting there waiting for a phone call. And I remember there were some some parts of that journey at one year. So I'd been waiting for 12 months and had heard nothing. The phone did not ring. And, and I know that people wait for, for years for kidneys. People wait uh, sometimes for years. But you were uh, yeah. confident you were on the list, though? Or? I was on the list. Yeah. You have to stay on the list as well. So every once in a while, things would go wrong. You end up in the hospital. If you catch an infection to take you off the list, then you have to get back on the list. It's, a, it's not a simple sort of process. So you try very hard to stay on the list. And that can be for physical reasons. It could be for could be for mental reasons. And so you have to stay strong to stay on the list. And uh, so, yeah, that, that, that part of the journey was, was hard, the not being in control, not being able to solve the problem and, and staying alive. Now, I, I probably met you in about 2007. Yep. So where would you have been on, on, the, on the journey at that point? I would have been deteriorating. Uh, my heart uh, would have been deteriorating. My condition would have been uh, reducing. Basically, my heart would have already the right side of my heart would have been turning more into into effectively a, a bag. What happens too when you uh, other things start happening when you are 
paste as much as I was. So I had that pacemaker in already by, by, by that time. So it was about 10 years, 11 years, something like that. And uh, yeah, about that. And what happens is when you're paced on it, typically you start, it's on one side of your heart. And so the right side of my heart was, was the problem effectively. So that's getting paced. But then the left side of your heart tends to respond with that second part of the beat a little bit later than it normally would. So slowly the left side of your heart also gets affected. And that causes all kinds of other things to happen. And people might misdiagnose that and see think the problem is on the left side of the heart. All these things started happening. So then you have to look for other solutions for that. So it's the, the, the journey itself is not without sort of complications. But in, in 2007, uh, that would have that started happening. The, the impact was starting to go to the left side of my heart as well. So when, when did you actually have the, trans, uh, the transplant then? That was in uh, 2012, December 12. 2012. So I knew you during yeah. that time. I think there was a period leading up to that then your, your health really deteriorated. Yeah, I think probably you aged uh, about 30 years probably, and, right? And uh, that was exactly, when you say you aged 30 years, that's exactly what happens. Basically, you know, between, and I, I again, like a sad engineer, I, I map all these things out. I had a, a line, basically, you, you, you run out of energy. You have to shrink your world, and you have right. to do that. I'd, I'd say there's a there's a, a concept in IT called graceful degradation, and so when a system crashes, it, it looks like it crashes, but there's still a process going on behind the scenes that makes sure all your data doesn't get lost and all that. Right. In theory, so I, I I thought as as a as a person, you also want to do that by design. So I I started having less and less clients out of town, less and less contacts with people. My, uh, I could walk, so you do this sort of uh, mentally and you do this physically. So I could hardly, at one point, Jim, I could hardly get up a curb. I, ha I would have to lift mm -hmm. my leg physically with my hands to get up a curb. Going up and down a staircase would take me, I don't know, 20 minutes. And, you, and you're thinking clearly during this whole time. You know exactly what's happening. Yes. And it's not fun, obviously. No, no. And you have a, a, a young family. And yep. and a business that's your own. So, yep. What kinds of like let's say two thousand seven to twelve? What kind of you you kind of alluded to that? What kind of decisions did you have to make? So you pulled back from my network, but that's your but that's also your that's income. My, that's yeah. my bread and butter, absolutely. And and so, I was very very lucky. I had some clients that were amazing during that time. So, I would. Uh, of course, you end up in the hospital. You try and stay out of the hospital as much as possible, but you end up in the hospital. At one point, I was in the hospital for three weeks straight. I didn't get outside. And when you're used to being active and being outside and, and, and really mm -hmm. enjoy people, as you're shrinking your life into a much smaller space, uh, the, these things get, get harder and harder. But I had one client, they actually would, because my mind was still working fine. My mind is the same age that it, mm -hmm. that it always seemed to be. My body and the rest of me seemed to be deteriorating at a rapid rapid clip. They would come to the hospital. I would have my laptop uh, just across on one of those tables on, at the hospital bed. They would bring sushi. The food's not always great in the hospitals. They would bring some food and we would do work there. So again, I was very, very lucky. And, and so I was able to continue to have an income through that whole process. Not everyone is so lucky. Sure. Now, leading up to 2012, yep. 
was there a, a time where you were aware that you were a, a low number on the list, or how how does that work? <laughs> well, the, the, uh, there's there's many stories here, of course. Yes. And uh, what happened is is uh, there there's a lot going on in 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 on the kidney side that doesn't always get shared with the heart side, and there, so there's even these these silos okay. in the in in the in in the, in the medical system where where I feel there could be a lot more collaboration between the various uh, organ transplant areas. Either the donor uh, community or whatever. The, How would e you describe it? Even even within within the hospitals. Transplant. Uh, so community? the transplant, yeah, the, the, the transplant community within hospitals. And uh, so what we found out is that uh, the, the, the state that I was actually, the likelihood of, of, of me finding uh, a compatible donor had uh, shrunk to the to the point where uh, I, there were only going to be uh, eight or nine percent of the available hearts were going to be a possible match for me. So that, what's that size and blood type and age? Or? All, all of that sort okay. of compatibility of, of the heart. Okay. And uh, so uh, given that, that suddenly moves you from the general sort of transplant population on the list to a, a much more urgent uh, part of that list. So I moved right up to, uh, to uh, a very high level, and I don't know what it was. I think whether it's the top two or three, and what happens then- Because your health was failing enough. And because it was so unlikely I was gonna find a compatible donor heart, that also meant that I went on the national list. Vicky, it's, it's again back to the, the people in your family, the people that are your friends. Vicky had talked to someone who had a friend who happened to be on the kidney side, who then suggested that that this compatibility test be done, uh, they found out. Oops, you know, you should have been on the national list probably eight months ago. And so, again, it's through these connections. I know you you mentioned the word connections right at the beginning, and it is through all these connections. It's about people and and finding the right information. And I so I probably should have been on that list quite a bit before the time that I was. Doesn't matter. In the end, you know, I, I feel I got the right heart. It's uh, it's incredible. It's been been amazing uh, ever since I, I had that, that so, heart. But uh, you were wearing what a, a pager or something at a certain I just, point. I just I had my cell phone. They did have pagers. They were kind of going out of style because everyone had moved on. Uh, these these okay. pagers were sort of like an old technology. Right. And uh, so, in the end, uh, I, yeah, I had I always had my my cell phone on uh, with me, and so it, you just got a phone call. I got a phone call, and and, and not only that, it's. It's like we had a phone call just on our, our home phone, and Vicky was sitting upstairs. Uh, I think she was doing math homework with Taba, so she wasn't answering the phone because he had to stay focused. <laughs> and uh, so then, and I happened to be down in the basement. I'd worked my way downstairs. I hadn't been there for probably a month. And uh, and so I was down in the basement, and, and the phone in my, my sweatpants rang. And it was just, I didn't know what number it was. I answered, and, and a lady just said, we think we may have a heart for you. Uh, oh, thank you so much. You know, I, it's it's kind of you don't know what to say. I mean, it's right. uh, I said, and so then I realized, who of course, this? they probably tried to call. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a who is this? So and then and I said, say, Vicky, maybe you should have answered that call. Uh, I, it looks like we need to go to the hospital. And of course, then all the the the, the panic sets in, and it's and so you've been uh, waiting years for this phone call. Yeah, so you've been and at the time it was is twenty months I, I waited. And, Since and, you knew you were on a list, 
Yep. For, uh, since the, since I got on that list okay. and, and but stayed even on the list, more than more than twenty months overall. Really. Oh yeah. Well, right. since years. Yeah, yeah, years. Because just to get on the list took a long, years. long time. Okay. And uh, and so then then of course it was. Uh, I said that's okay. I mean, you're not you're not supposed to drive yourself to the hospital. But I said hey, I want to make sure we get there. <laughs> Vicky kind of organized things. I, I drove to the hospital. And it was a very strange experience uh, there because. What hospital are we talking about? Toronto General. Okay. Uh, so it's University Health Network. Right. And uh, because there isn't really a simple procedure. So they, they sort of say, yep, come into the hospital, just check into admissions, and, and then they'll sort you. But it's not not all the time that they get people, hi, I'm here for a transplant. You know. And uh, so meanwhile, you're trying to park. It's not easy in a, in a downtown hospital. There's, there's other logistics to deal with. And, uh, and then you sort of go through this process and you're you're a bit in the twilight zone. It's and, uh, you're, and your adrenaline is uh, off the charts. At this it, point, it is, probably, and right? because you're in in a yeah, you're in a different world, and you That's know why they don't want you to drive. Probably it's like well, no, I'm, my my head was absolutely fine okay. at the time. When you get there again, the the thing you were plus I'm to me these are just factual things. I don't I don't worry too much. I would watch my own transplant. It, it wouldn't bother me. I, I've always because I'm fascinated by the process. It's it's you don't know you haven't gone through this before, so it's all kind of new. Um, but you you know and, and and that that the heart could arrive. They could because they have to look at it. The surgeons they still need to look at it. They have to make sure it's okay that it's compatible that it's going to work. And the the surgeon himself it was the him at this time, uh, Doctor Yao. He was uh, you, you know you want the best technician known known to man. Of course, you want someone mm -hmm. that's done this a few times. And I remember. In the first, the very first meeting, he said, "Well, this will be my first one." He's just joking, but you know, <laughs> you 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 worry about these things a little bit, right? And but this this guy was was incredible. He was uh, very very good. In fact, you can see him on YouTube. I think he had like a, a YouTube video on heart transplants. Well, heart transplant. I mean, when I was a kid, heart heart transplants were front page news in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is no small feat. Nope. Obviously. So let's go back to those days, though. Mm. Um, uh, you're allowed to talk about the circumstances of the, where the heart came from and that sort of thing? Yep. Well, the way that process is, is different for every province. And uh, turns out my heart came from Nova Scotia. And right. uh, you hear that by, you know, I, I ask questions. I talk to assistants of surgeons. I, I wanted to find out. Uh, as much as I could. You could also hear nurses talking. I knew the heart had flown in uh, from somewhere. Then I heard the word, uh, you know, Halifax. Uh, I also heard, oh, it's a, it's a young person. So all those things you sort of glean from conversations. And, and of course, the internet's pretty amazing, so you can look for things that have happened. And this is all while you're waiting for your surgery. Some of that's while waiting, right. some of it's afterwards. Right. You know, I... I I made sure to thank the the surgeon afterwards. I called called his office, and and uh, they're just very very happy that uh, you know you got a good heart and it's going well and all that. So even in those conversations, you glean a little bit here and there, and then you can again you can look thing, things up uh, on the internet to see what what has happened. And uh, so, but the the way the system actually works is in, in Ontario, you can send a letter. It, it goes to Trillium Gift of Life. They redact out anything that they that you're not supposed to share names, locations, all kinds of things, references. They redact that out. They send that letter 
to their equivalent organization in Nova Scotia. Uh, that organization then looks at that, sends it to the family, and then the family responds in the same way. So it's it's very much choreographed and, and, and again, redacted along the way. So what happens, you get a letter from, from the family that has a lot of blanks in it. Uh, they were clearly also trying to uh, share names and, and, and locations, but they were all redacted out. So you you get sort of a, a halting letter and you you have to figure out because contacting uh, a donor family it, it was their loss right yeah. and so you have to be very very careful you don't want to bring up trauma again you don't want to uh, yes. cause uh, undue stress on on uh, on on those families so you you have to have a pretty good indication as to whether or not they want contact right and so it seemed in the in the first letter that they might not right so then I thought, okay, because I hadn't really been ready to write the letter for almost a year after the surgery. It was just something in my head that I, I wasn't ready to face it and uh, the, the potential of that contact or, or to write a letter. And I felt a little stilted writing it. You know, it's an emotional thing. And so how do you convey that? You want to thank the family, of course. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing gift. Uh, and uh, so, so that kind of... That exchange, there were two two exchanges of letters, until but the, the the second exchange, the second time that we got a letter from the donor family, and it's now six years hence, six almost seven years hence, that one had like a little smiley face on there that didn't get redacted out. <laughs> I thought, okay, these are handwritten letters. No, these okay. are these are type. They're like, like email. emoji uh, or something. Yeah, it was a, yeah a little oh. uh, little uh, smiley face emoji. And that hadn't been redacted. So I thought, okay, so maybe <laughs> maybe they're friendly, you know. And I thought, okay, so I thought, how am I going to contact them without really contacting them? So, because I knew who they were. Right. And through your uh, own sleuthing. Through my own sleuth. Yeah, it was right. fairly straightforward. Because it was and, in the news. Was it in the news? It out was there? in the news. Out there. Yeah. There was an accident. There, there was an accident. Right. And, uh, and someone was airlifted to the hospital. And right. so, and it turns out that was a hospital right across uh, the street from where my son had his place at Dalhousie University. So right. I knew exactly where it all sort of happened. Right. And then, uh, so I I could see on Google Earth, I could see the cemetery where he was buried and it was related wow. to a church. So I thought, I'll send a, wow. I'll send an email to the pastor. Right. And so I said, here's all my information. Can you please convey it to the family? If they would like contact, then please feel free to do so. And then, uh, so... I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks, but then suddenly I was sitting at Union Station. I was heading back on the GO train to come back to Oakville, and the phone rings, and it was the the, the father of the the young man whose heart I had, so Stephen. Wow. And, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It gets, uh, hmm. gets real at a certain point. Yeah. So this, how long, this wasn't that long ago, six years later, so two. Yeah, seven, yeah, and in the end it was seven years. And so just before COVID, uh, so we ended up uh, sort of communicating back and forth, uh, just Facebook, and and uh, got to know the family a little bit, and and they really wanted us to to come out, and so so we ended up, uh, Vicky and I decided, okay, let's let's go do that. Uh, it turns out that uh, you know Stephen, whose whose heart I have, uh, also saved uh, three other people, and so there's a there's a liver guy, a kidney guy, and a pancreas guy, and uh, and they're all connected to the family. They the family knows them all. So when we went, we we didn't know what to expect because 
you hear all the stories it can go wrong uh, you know you can have strange connections and and and, and there can be a lot of stress uh, the, you know the family might see you as their son and and treat you that way and and so we were aware of some of the potential downfalls but none of that really happened and and so we went we got on a plane we uh, we flew to Halifax we rented a car drove down we stopped at uh, Peggy's Cove for a for a nice sort of clam chowder right. lunch, and then took a deep breath and and drove down to a place called Quinnan, and right. uh, so not too far from uh, from Yarmouth. And for them, enough time perhaps had passed that they had processed a lot of that. That and and the fact and... that they again they were already very closely connected, especially to the uh, the the gentleman that got uh, Stephen's liver, and right. uh, so they already had those relationships in place, and they would have like to have connected much sooner and so that would have been would have been nice but they they were unbelievably open people open-hearted open-armed and and so when we we drove up the driveway knocked on the door and uh sorry no i understand i understand no I yeah understand. it was it was it was very emotional and and, and so we just hugged them and and uh, and they said you know, and 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 we got to know them a little bit, and they said, you know, is it okay? We've we've invited some people over. Is is that okay? And we said, uh, sure, why not? And what we didn't know is how many family members there were uh, living close in that community, and they all, of course, knew about it. So I so they knew we, you were coming. We met probably 35, 40 people: aunts, uncles, family. friends, yeah. family, grandmas, grandpas. And uh, and it, it was it was an incredible experience, just wonderful, wonderful. And gave them some peace, uh, no doubt. Yeah, and they they listened to my heart. A, a number of them were really? nurses, and they had stethoscopes, and oh, it wow. was it was uh, superb. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to 2012, though. Yep. So uh, what so did you need special medication? Like I always hear about things re being rejected and that sort of thing. Was that? Yep. So that's another. Obstacle, another hurdle to, uh, to yeah. jump, no doubt, right? Yeah, and it was, uh, again, the, the whole, uh, so once you get a transplant, you, that's the first thing you focus on is make sure that you don't reject your heart. So I always thought, oh, you have to accept it in, 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 in many ways. And so, you know, I'd been, I read all the, the sort of materials on that. You have to accept it in your mind. You have to accept it in your body. And then you have to make sure that you also take anti-rejection drugs. So I remember waking up and... Uh, and, and it was a very strange thing. I hadn't really heard my own heartbeat uh, since I had my pacemaker put in because some, something changes in the way that, that you, you hear your own heart, or for me anyway. And uh, so when I woke up, and uh, I was probably still under the influence of whatever medications they, they'd given me, mm -hmm. but I was lying with my, my ear uh, on the pillow, and, and suddenly I realized I can hear my own heartbeat. And, and so then it got me thinking, you know how sometimes some music will sound like that? It was like, it was like music. And then I thought, okay, so they tell you how you're supposed to accept the heart. I said, okay, first I have to get to know this heart. You know, it's, it's new to my body. And, uh, and I thought, okay, why don't I try some different types of music to see how the heart reacts? Because hearts are about rhythm, about sort of connecting and, uh, so I tried all these different types of, of music, and I thought that that way I'll know if the heart came from someone that likes certain kinds of music. Or, 
I know this makes no uh, how, scientific how old sense. Is he? How old was he? Turns out he was around 30. Okay. Young lad. And I, through that, I thought, A, he likes all kinds of music. I tried classical, Norwegian <laughs> heavy metal, I, I, everything, the, the whole gambit. The heart seemed fine with all of it. You know, and I thought, okay, this probably, it was probably a guy. I, I had, I don't know if you ever watched Archie Bunker. Of course. Yeah. But, you know, and, and uh, there was an episode when, uh, when uh, he was talking to Meathead and uh, realized that, uh, you know, Meathead said, no, 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 you could, you could get the heart uh, of, a, of a black person. Right. And, and I remember that episode. And, and, and his, you know, Archie Bunker, his jaw dropped open. Just that sort of possibility. But it got me thinking. I thought I w- it would be really cool <laughs> if you got, say, a, a, a black person or, a, like, say, a, a black female's heart. Would that, would that mean anything change, or do anything? Would that change anything, yes. right? Would, would you be more open? Would you? And, uh, of course, that's all a kind of fanciful thinking. But the, the idea of having someone else's heart inside you I think it does. It is worth thinking about it a lot, and I, you know, and, and of course, in the end, he he was a, a wonderful young lad, and and uh, he was a, a a seaman. So he was uh, first officer on supply ships for Marsk, uh, a shipping company, uh, and uh, used to bring supplies to the offshore oil platforms uh, off of the coast of Newfoundland. And so he'd been in 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 boating and sailing, just like his dad and his grandpa. Uh, and so I love that sort of boating connection too. And, and so I felt, I felt right away that I was, I was connected to the heart and that, that it was sort of meant to be. And, uh, and, and ultimately. So, so you're confident from day one that it was going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was, even if it's somewhat irrational, it's, uh, doesn't you just, matter, you just believed right? it. it. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'm not particularly uh, religious, but, but these things, uh, you know, it you have to accept it because otherwise what and and you have to go through that process whatever that means for you and it's different for everybody mm-hmm. and uh, and i felt in the end that that even going to visit them that that, that was that was meant to be all is and i know his mom uh, his mom's the same age as, as i am and uh and so she felt that that uh, that stephen had had chosen his recipients that it was sort of it was meant to be and and yeah, what, whatever that means, however that works, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky uh, to have gotten that heart. So even though I was frustrated, I should have been on that national list yes. eight months or to blah blah blah. Well, you're reborn in some respects. It's right? unbelievable. Speaking right? of religion, right? I'm yeah, not, and so you you can't but... discount that. I think you can't discount sort of the 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 mental aspects of it. The the, and 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 the meaning behind behind all of that, but yeah, I have a, a brand new life. But and in those first few months, uh, you d- did you just bounce back right away, or was there some? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim, but there's medicine involved, right? There's, there there is, and so right. you have anti-rejection drugs. You have biopsies. So when you right. after you have your transplant, they need to make sure it's 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 working, that it's continuing to work, that you're not building up scar tissue inside the heart. So the way they do that, they actually send a, so you go for a biopsy, they send a little wire through your, your vein, goes into the heart. It basically takes little pieces out of the inside of your heart and then tests them to make sure that there's, uh, that, that the, uh, the, the, that there's no rejection uh, forming. The first time we went, we, we got there early. So we got to Toronto General and there was a, 
a gentleman standing there, and he was uh, very upright, uh, looked very energetic, and he was ready to go. And then, then it was us. It was Vicky and I, and and uh, so I had a little chat with the guy, and he was full of energy. It had been two years since his transplant. He was going to hit country number 50. He was traveling all around the world. He'd already done 49 different countries in total, and he was mm-hmm. so, wow, I thought, that's the model after two years. I'm going to do 60 countries. You know, it was sort of like, <laughs> oh, I could see that model. And that, that was a model that I thought uh, I, could, I could look for and, and, and uh, aspire to. And, uh, and then, then, uh, then it was myself. Was, it, was this relief that you just survived the operation, perhaps? Or were you actually feeling physically that good? I was feeling good? very, very good. What you happened? felt good immediately. Jim, what, what, yeah, and the reason is because you've, you've been walking around without proper amounts of oxygen going through your bloodstream for so many years that right. you have zero energy. There's, there's no energy transfer. And so as soon as that heart goes in, it's pumping, it's pumping oxygen all through your veins. Right. And I felt I could fly. I wanted to stand to eat. I didn't want to sit down anymore because suddenly it's, it's, it's as if someone just like, like you said, a, a shot of adrenaline has been and it's a permanent shot of adrenaline. You you become so used to being uh, running at 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 30 uh, 40% capacity or less. So and suddenly great. you're at 80 or 90% capacity. It it's it's like the weight's gone off your shoulder. You feel like you can fly. It is an incredible experience. And now I, I somewhere I don't know when I ran into you, but it was somewhere there was suddenly you were just at a school function. Yeah. And you were just there in the hallway and I there's a ring, and I hadn't seen you. I'm not close enough for you. We're not close enough friends that I would be visiting you in the hospital, and sadly. But uh, I guess I could have. Uh, but I remember there's a ring, and I give you a big hug. You probably there's yeah. probably a lot of people yeah, giving yeah, you a yeah, lot yeah. of hugs, so you probably wouldn't remember. Yeah. But it, it's it on some level, it's kind of a miracle. I mean, yeah. it's a miracle of science, absolutely. and 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 absolutely that there you're there walking, and 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 you're here to tell the story, kind of thing. But yeah. but it, was there was there I mean you said you're feeling great right was there were you better in six months better in a year better in two years or you, did you it keep getting all... better but the first that that first change is it, it is it's it's transformative change you you're 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 and also you you then realize because for 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 seventeen years you've been on a on a downward slope and you could you could map it and you yes. have little bumps along the way but everything is is down. Right. So now you get a transplant, and suddenly you're on this upward slope. So it's just mentally and 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 physically, you're you're now there's this this great hope where where you're sort of heading towards despair. You can calculate, you know, oh, I'm going to be dead in three months. Or I'm going to be dead in four months. You could you could map that out, and now it's wow, you know, I feel like I could go back to the Olympics now. You know, and that's even, nine years ago now, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that was in uh, so December 2012. 2012 so, so almost almost nine years. It'll be nine years in December. The sad part is it's potentially genetic, and your kids yeah. potentially have the same condition, right? Which yep. they have to consider. Well, other we have to look back. First of all, doing that sort of, uh, you know, once once we found out it was a genetic problem, that explained why my dad died uh, very young. He was he was uh, thirty. Okay. And or 29, I think he wasn't quite 30 yet. My aunt died at about uh, 55, I think she was, and uh, she was one of the first uh, pacemaker recipients in the Netherlands. She was, I think, uh, number seven or eight. Uh, 
And in fact, she had one that was powered by plutonium. So she wasn't allowed to go close to airports. She was a nuclear-powered, uh, she had a nuclear-powered pacemaker at the time. But it explained and why my grandma died young, why, and back through uh, my family history, why they all died young and why I would have also died young. I'm the first one in, 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 in that line that has been able to, you know, through this transplant, to survive uh, beyond the age of, of, of 52, 53, 54, uh, 55. And, and, uh, so, and so that's the one end of the, uh, of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is we also now know what it is. So, you know, and for, so uh, a couple of my kids also have this, this, uh, this genetic condition. And so they, they will, tested. yeah, they got tested. They wanted to get tested. All the kids wanted to get tested. It's, uh, you have to think about that very carefully because as soon as you do, there, in, in, there are different laws in different countries in terms of what that means in terms of ever getting insurance, let's say, or, right. or you may not even want to know because you, you know, I lived great life. I didn't know. I, right. I didn't know until much later, and I, I wouldn't trade my life for the world. Even if I would have died at the, at the age of, uh, of 50-something, that, that's okay. I wouldn't have traded in my life. But once you know, you might do things differently. So you have to make that decision sort of consciously. The older two kids was one thing. They were old enough. The younger one, we, we made sure that she thought through it a couple of times and, and then made a, made a decision also to get tested. So all three of them were tested, and, and two of the three uh, have the, uh, the mutation. So the good news is uh, if they have children, they can test for that now in vitro. So then... It still makes it very, very difficult <laughs> because let's say my mother would have known. Yes. You know, and these, you get into these very, yeah. very difficult ethical situations and, and, uh, and you know, what would she have done? Uh, yeah. So the, these are – so it, it gets into a whole host of, of, of questions and, and decisions that do make it, uh, make it difficult. Might there be anything in the future – where the the solution isn't a transplant or absolutely I, I think else? there's an awful lot going on in in, right. in research uh, genetic engineering uh, certainly is one thing where maybe they can uh, adjust those things uh, uh, and and so that before uh, it exhibits itself that they can make adjustments so it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, come out in the same way and 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 it doesn't actually uh, activate. So uh, I'm hoping that that more and more research will be done in that area. Uh, so now you're 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 involved in in research, uh, post-operative yep. research. So tell me about the Canadian Donation and Transplantation and Research Program. That's what that's what you're involved in. So that that's a, is that you and other patients yes. are being kind of more activist. Is that how you? Very much more involved in 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 basically setting the direction for research and, 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 and also prioritizing funding. One of the frustrations I had in, in this entire journey, and it, it is not a simple journey, is that patients don't really have much to say. Right. Uh, the, 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 the healthcare system is very, very reactive. So once you have a problem and it's urgent, boom, you go in, they help you, they fix that problem, bang, you're out. And, and, that makes for a, a very bumpy and a bumpy ride, a very painful ride, and I don't think that's that's really helpful for either the medical people, uh, professionals that are helping, or or the patients. 
and and then you have a group of academics as well that 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 are focusing on 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 their areas. Couple of things in academia that have been very very frustrating. One is how little collaboration there is. We had right. to do all that research in terms of my condition, this, Desmond, this particular desmondopathy, because a lot of it was happening in, in the place in northern Holland where my family is from and where my ancestors are from, because that's where the big problem is. So the research was going on at the University of Groningen. Now, the researchers trying to get their research out, trying to get funding for that research, and they may not want to collaborate with too many people around the rest of the world. So there's very little information sharing that goes on naturally, or in the past, certainly that's been the case. What the, the CDTRP uh, is, is trying to do is, is change that. So it's very much a collaborative approach between researchers, and it's, it's uh, done also with the collaboration of patients. So when there's funding going on, patients have a say in terms of the priority of the funding. Priority for funding things that are practical for patients and so that are actually important to patients, that, that journey. So helping patients through that journey, both on the, on, the, on the mental health side and also on the physical side, nutrition, exercise, to make sure that, that the aim ultimately is, is more of a long-term uh, uh, quality of life. So the focus becomes on that, not on here's a problem, I fixed it, see you later, I'm done. And, and or having research done in isolation, which is then published somewhere where people may or may not see it. So I, I, what I really like about the program is it, it brings those parties together to, to focus things much more on, on patients. And, you know, the assumption that the patient's just someone that comes in, you fix them and you send them off, and they don't have much to contribute. I think in the past, the doctor knows best, I, I think is no longer has a place in, in society. I think we're we're beyond that now, and I think we can do a lot better. And I, I think CDTRP is, is doing that. The system, for all its flaws, in, in Canada is not bad, and, and you're super lucky you've gotten someone's heart. Uh, not only that, you've got a, a couple of children who are, are also going to go through this journey. So, so you know, you feel at a certain point like you also have a responsibility to give something back and, and to provide input to make that journey easier for you know future generations and for other people that have to go through this, and, and also to help uh, physicians and, and uh, medical professionals be more effective in, in the types of things that they do uh, or allocate uh, budgets uh, and, and, and finances in, in the places where they actually can make a, a real difference. Just want to th thank you, Rick, for, oh. for uh, sharing your story. Yeah, no, no uh, problem. I really appreciate the chance to, to talk about this, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.